Um, and as we turn to our second uh, segment for tonight, uh, the Democratic Socialists of America, the largest socialist organization in the United States in several ge- generations with more than 80,000 members, held its biannual national convention in Chicago over the weekend and uh, debated and deliberated the sort of the future path they want to the go on. Uh, they also are, are really leaning into um, doing uh, more organizing with this resurgent labor movement, especially with the sort of the younger wing of the movement that's uh, challenging the status quo at the rank and file uh, level. They elected uh, a new, uh, you know, national steering committee. Um, and uh, yeah, it was an interesting uh, weekend. Yeah, absolutely, John. So uh, tell me what stood out to you about that convention uh, as you were following it. Over right. There. I mean, I, I wasn't able to be there in, in person, uh, unfortunately, but I definitely, you know, followed the, the, the rhetoric and the, and the, you know, communiques that are coming out in advance and the, the discourse that was going on during the convention and afterwards. And I, you know, I think, uh, DSA is at a bit of an inflection point. They, they grew, uh, extraordinarily, uh, quickly, uh, from 2016 to 2020 with, uh, sort of, uh, riding the coattails of the two Bernie Sanders presidential campaigns, the shock of, uh, when the Democrats failed to stop Donald Trump from taking the White House, also the elections of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But that sort of electoral upsurge moment of a few years ago has cooled off and and, and their membership has uh, dropped some. I mean, it's still a large organization, but, I, you know, I think they're still kind of trying to find their way in this uh, sort of post-Bernie moment. And uh, a lot of organizations, uh, progressive, left-wing or otherwise, in the United States are, are struggling at the moment. This often happens when you have a sort of a, a milk toast democratic administration. A lot of people sort of relax and uh, feel like they don't have to engage as much. And other people uh, feel thwarted and frustrated when a democratic administration sort of in- inevitably uh, disappoints them. So uh, DSA has really had uh, to, to grapple with this as well. And, and, and figure out how they want to sort of navigate this, uh, uh, new moment. And I, uh, started out by asking, uh, Alex Pelletieri, uh, and, well, just let me say one thing real quick about Alex. He was a, uh, a leader in the Hunter College, uh, uh, Young Democratic Socialists of America in recent years. Um, that chapter has been very active and also a leader in South Brooklyn DSA. So, um, very immer- and he was the campaign manager for Marcella Matania's, uh, uh, a tenant organizer and socialist who was elected to the state assembly from uh, Sunset Park in 2020. So Alex has been involved in various levels of DSA, and he was one of 16 people elected to their national steering committee this weekend. And uh, I started out by asking him uh, what kinds of changes he expects to see flow out of this weekend's convention and why he feels those changes are necessary. I was very happy with the decisions that that were made. Um, I, I think that we made a DSA that is oriented towards um, building an independent political party. I think that we made a DSA that uh, or reaffirmed our commitment to the rank and file strategy. Uh, I think that we invested in some of the most crucial parts of our organization, such as YDSA. Uh, we also have campaigns for things like uh, trans rights and, and bodily autonomy. And also um, with things like the full-time co-chairs or the democracy commission that passed, 
I think that we are providing an answer to a lot of the in the, the questions that have been been facing our internal structure and, and internal democracy. And, uh, you know, DSA, I I think that prior to this convention, DSA was very much at a crossroads. That's something I said a lot during during this campaign. Um, you know, our direction forward, our our identity wasn't clear. You know, many of the uh, issues that were facing DSA, such as our loss in membership, there wasn't a clear answer to that. And I think that this convention really answers those questions and puts us in a really, really good place uh, over the next two years. Now, DSA is the largest socialist organization in this country uh, in at least 80 years, maybe more than that. Uh, But why do you think uh, more recently it has lost membership? Is that uh, due to internal problems or the larger political climate? Um, I, I think that the things that first uh, gained DSA, the net membership that it did, the Bernie campaign, uh, the Trump election, the election of AOC, those moments have, have passed. We've definitely recruited members for it. We have definitely are still feeling the, these effects of it, but... There's a lot of, you know, still a lot of issues in in the world, you know, whether it be attacks on abortion, attacks on trans rights, um, you know, several unionization efforts. And I think that, you know, in the case of Bernie, in the case of AOC, if you wanted to continue this fight, you joined DSA. That was the next step. It's That's not as clear. It's not as obvious anymore. You know, if, if you're a worker who's who's going on strike and wants to continue to work, it, it might not be as obvious to join DSA as it would have been a few years ago. But we're changing that, you know, that that's really been changing. Um, You know, in addition to things passed at the convention, I know many rank and file Teamsters joined as a result of the strike ready campaign. So I think that our goal um, is really to to merge DSA with the labor movement uh, so that we're a place where workers can fight for political rights beyond their own um, labor rights, merge DSA with other social movements. Um, and I think that through that, we're really going to see uh, an invigoration of our organizing. Right. And, and can you talk more about uh, what the rank and file strategy is and why you and uh, other like minded folks in the DSA see that as uh, a central to the organization's future growth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So the rank and file strategy is basically the idea that Socialists should take rank and file jobs in strategic industries. Uh, the most common ones are becoming teachers, becoming nurses, uh, or becoming teamsters. And the idea is to, um, push the labor movement left, build more militant and democratic unions, and ultimately re-merge the socialist movement and the labor movement. And, you know, if you look at the history of this country a hundred years ago, or, or even beyond that, um, you, Almost every, you know, there are unions that were almost entirely socialist, that the labor movement and the socialist movement were almost indistinguishable. And for a number of reasons, though, that has changed, you know, that, that that's ceased to exist. But the rank and file strategy is about rekindling that relationship and making people realize that we cannot win socialism without a, a organized and militant labor movement on our side. And, you know, we cannot really win true liberation for workers, have true workers' rights in this country under a capitalist system. Okay. And, and what do you mean uh, when, you, when you talk about the DSA becoming uh, more of an independent political party? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, I think, is broad agreement that the Democratic Party is not 
a, a party for us to be in, that they're, they're not people who are advocating uh, for workers. They are not people who are sufficiently fighting the right. And the goal of our electoral work should be to break from the Democrats um, and form a, a new party that is separate from them, a new party that is rooted in the working class and a party that is actually fighting for things that are going to benefit working class people. And, you know, DSA has a number of elected officials at the federal level, at the local level, and we have several here in New York City. And I think that many people have taken that as a sign that it's time to stop simply talking about why we need a workers' party and actually set the groundwork for for building one. So um, there was a resolution that passed with, I believe, close to 80 percent act like a party, which is something that I was very excited about and, and spoke in favor which would say that it would direct our um, National Electoral Committee to help chapters across the country um, not only set up their electoral infrastructure, but do so in a way that builds political independence. So having elected officials um, caucus as socialists, separate from the Democrats, coming up with their own priorities, um, having people talk about how they're a democratic socialist on the campaign trail, you know, develop a, a DSA brand that people can recognize anywhere. Um, I, I think that, you know, our goal should, should for be, uh, should be for people to, to see elections as a competition between, you know, a far right Republican candidate, you know, your centrist, boring Democratic candidate, and then the Democratic Socialist candidate. Right. I mean, I, I, I get the idea of, of, of creating more uh, organizational independence in, in mm-hmm. identity. I mean, I, at the same time, uh, the DSA has had unprecedented success mm-hmm. uh, over the last few years running candidates on the Democratic Party ballot line in Democratic uh, primaries. You managed the campaign of Assemblymember Marcella Matanias, which uh, succeeded in knocking off one of those very stale uh, mm-hmm. Democratic incumbents who had been uh, holding that mm-hmm. seat in Sunset Park for many years. Uh, do, do you envision uh, actually wanting to give up running on the Democratic uh, ballot line in contested primaries when that's been so successful so far? I think that that should be the goal. That's not something that I think is possible right now or or in the near future. I think for the foreseeable future, we should still continue running people on the Democratic ballot line, but that's definitely something that we should build build towards. And I think that the reason why DSA has been able to grow so much, why we've been able to 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 win uh, races like Marcella's race is because we presented a fundamentally different vision from the Democratic Party, uh, whether it be in the way that we do politics in a democratic way, um, you know, and, and by electing people who aren't just individuals, but going to Albany as a socialist bloc, um, or, or the policies that we put forth, I put forth, I think we developed a fundamentally different vision. So I think that that vision will still exist, whether it be in, on the Democratic line um, or or beyond. Not, not to belabor this too much, but there's really been no successful third party in a, in American history since the party system uh, mm-hmm. first uh, took hold in the 1830s. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why do you think someday that could be different for the DSA? I think that study, you know, elections and studies have shown that people are not happy with either party. People are not happy with the Democrats. They're definitely not happy with the Republicans. But there has been a real effort 
to keep this two-party system. You know, it has become increasingly and increasingly harder, um, whether just ballot access laws, petitioning, gathering laws to form a party that is not um, that is not anything other than the Democrats or Republicans. So, you know, as I said before, DSA has presented a fundamentally different vision from the Democrats. I think we've proposed ourselves as an alternative from the Democrats, and that has become wildly pop- popular, whether it be our support for Bernie, support for our local candidates, support for our, our labor organizing. So I think that the people who support DSA are not um, people who, who support the Democratic Party. They're people who are looking for something different. And I think if our organizing can really harness that energy um, and really bring them closer to DSA, really point out the flaws in the Democratic Party, and then I do really believe that that we can build uh, a workers' party. So this uh, uh, increased emphasis on labor organizing, uh, uh, that doesn't mean the electoral side of DSA is being demoted? No, I don't, I don't think so at all. Um, you know, it, it's not... Whether or not we can do electoral or labor organizing, I think they go hand in hand. And as I said before, you know, we need to rekindle the relationship between the labor movement and the socialist movement. And having that connection is definitely important for building an independent party. We're not going to to do that without a strong militant labor movement. So I think a lot of things like the rank and file strategy that that we passed, I think are actually going to really complement uh, complement DSA's uh, electoral organizing. Right. And, and two other issues where uh, DSA uh, is engaging uh, that come with a lot of uh, controversy around them these days uh, is on uh, Palestine and on, on trans uh, rights. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk about uh, why the DSA uh, is engaging so strongly with those two issues? For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think those are two issues that are really core to, to any socialist platform. Um, at this convention, DSA did reaffirm our support for, for BDS and Palestinian rights, which was, which was very exciting. Um, we also passed campaigns and I believe both our DSA and our YDSA sections that will center, uh, trans rights. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think that this is definitely going to be one of the main things that we are doing um, in terms of our social movement work going forward. Uh, in New York City, we have the Not Not On Our Dime campaign, which I'm for sure you're familiar with, put forward by DSA and Dorset Assembly members Zoran Mamdani, um, which is basically saying that companies who are investing and financially supporting apartheid should not be a get uh, tax dollars from, from New York City uh, residents. And, and I think that that's a really great example of, of Palestinian um, organizing uh, uh, that's that's going on uh, in the city and, and something that I think I definitely want to be part of, but also that I think DSA should support more going forward. Right. But, but for people who may not uh, automatically see the connection, uh, can you talk about uh, why uh, Palestinian rights, why trans rights uh, it is uh, so important for people who might think, well, I, I want a Green New Deal and I want Medicare for all and I sure ate my landlord, um, mm-hmm. and I'd like a, a labor union. Where how do mm-hmm. how do these other issues also fit in, uh, and and why are they so important to DSA? Yeah, I mean, all of the issues you mentioned are products of the capitalist system. You know, whether it be uh, what's going on in Palestine, you know, recent anti-trans laws, people who are are being evicted or can't pay their rent. Those are all results of of capitalism, and we can't fight capitalism on some fronts and not others. You know, we can't 
said, well, we're going to fight capitalism when it comes to, to housing and, and how housing is used for profit. But when it comes to American imperialism, that's not something we're going to touch on. I, I don't think that's a very effective strategy for, for socialist organizing. You know, we, we need to recognize that all these struggles are collected or collect are connected. All these struggles, uh, share a, a common energy and we need to fight it. It's in its, in its entirety. Right. And it, it's striking at this moment when, when, uh, so many other organizations, uh, wherever they may be on the political spectrum or even organizations that aren't explicitly political really are seeing declining memberships mm-hmm. and participation. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about, yeah, how DSA is, uh, sort of created an internal culture that, uh, uh, keeps people enthusiastic and engaged. I mean, I know there's been a, a decline in membership, but there's also, uh, compared to almost anything else in this country, uh, still a, a, a unusually high level of uh, engagement mm-hmm. in, in your organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that people feel a sense of ownership over the work that they do, that they have the ability to shape the political direction of DSA. That they have, you know, an ability to, to take lessons they've learned from their organizing work and implement that, uh, in, in what we do next. And I think that there's really this culture of that. This is all of our DSA, you know, e- even me, we're all, you know, e- can, can equally p- participate and should have an equal say. And I think that, as you said, that's really rare for a, a lot of other places. And I think that. You know, being able to participate and really set the direction of the socialist movement is something that has kept a lot of people around and is something that is that is very unique. Nice. And uh, last of all, I mean, you you will be serving a two year term, but even looking beyond that, where where would you like to be a DSA to be at, say, in five or 10 years from now, um, whether in terms of, you know, just total membership or its overall uh, uh, role in society? I mean, mm-hmm. how, how much more can it grow? I mean, I think we're, you know, we're, we can, we're going to grow a lot more in that time. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see us crack a hundred thousand members and, and beyond that. I think it's definitely achievable over the next several years. Um, but I think, I would like DSA to take much more of a hold in working class communities. So I would like for more rank and file union members to say, oh, yeah, I know DSA. They were the ones who supported me on strike. You know, my, my coworkers are, are members of them. You know, the, the Democratic Party and other people, they don't do anything for me. But DSA, they're the ones who supported me when, when we were on strike. I'd li- and I'd like for many of those members to join DSA and become leaders in, in DSA. I'd also like for, for DSA to have more of a recognizable brand when it comes to electoral politics. I think we very much identify people like Marcella Matanias or Zoran Mamdani as DSA endorsed candidates as socialists. But I'm not sure how many people who are, you know, not plugged into to left wing politics really do. So I hope that we can be at the point where people are like, oh, yeah, can be walking around their neighborhood see a flyer for Zoran and be like, oh yeah, Zoran's, that's a DSA candidate. Or when they're going to vote, be like, I'm voting for Zoran because they're a socialist. So really build up this brand, really um, move beyond simply being, you know, very active in certain left-wing circles to take a hold in, in the entire working class communities. 
Okay, that was uh, Alex Pelletieri, new, newly elected member of uh, Democratic Socialists of America's uh, National Steering Committee, talking uh, to the Independent News Hour earlier uh, today. And we'll be back uh, with more after this short music break. <laughs> 